Hello, welcome to the RTE Soccer Podcast. Mikey Stafford here, and I am joined by my RTE online colleagues, uh, Connor Neville. In anti-clockwise fashion, Connor Neville, Anthony Pine, and Jim McMahon. How are we all doing, lads? Good, Mikey. How are you? Good, thank you, Jim. Good, thank you. Good. Yes, yeah. Fine, fine, sunny morning, and we actually have, after a slow start to the week, we, we there seems to be some soccer news brewing, which always helps when you're trying to put together a soccer podcast. Uh, later on, we'll have an interview with Raf Diallo's conducted with Ireland goalkeeper Courtney Brosnan, the Everton shot stopper, obviously, is enjoying a fine campaign with Vera Pau, and she's coming up against her old team, West Ham, soon, so there's a good bit to discuss with her. But first off, it, the January transfer window is ongoing, and um, the days of Andre Arshavin turning up by a helicopter at Arsenal's training ground seem to be gone, lads. It's it's not what it used to be, but there's a little bit of Irish interest, Anthony, and uh, we actually have a story on the website this morning from Johnny Ward. It seems that the inevitable has happened, and uh, Bohemian's brightest star, Dawson Devoy, looks set for a move across the Irish Sea, most likely to MK Dons, we're told a, we're told a deal is close, it's a kind of a, there's dominoes dropping as MK Dons' current promising 21-year-old uh, playmaker, um, what's his name, Matt O'Reilly, is heading for Celtic, it seems, so Devoy could be on his way to Milton Keynes and the Concrete Cows. Yeah, I mean, look, it's 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 another typical winter for balls, isn't it? Like Ross Tierney has, has gone to Motherwell. Um, we could yet see Georgie Kelly uh, move on. Keith Buckley is gone. Keith Ward is gone. Um, and now Dawson Devoy likely gone across the water. And, and he's, he's a fantastic player, Devoy. I think this is a good move for him at the right time. Um, there seems to be what balls have done brilliantly in the last few years. They just seem to have this conveyor belt of uh, this type of technically excellent creative midfield player um to produce consistently produce these type of players and Jamie Mullins is one that's coming up behind now he's only 17 but you, you think this is a big year for him now with balls I think you'll see him in the first team a lot more um but it, it's a big loss to, to lose the boy he's excellent he's a really good player but as I said I think this is um the right time for him it's, it's a good move um progressive move and as, as, you, as you rightly say there it looks like he's gone there play this isn't a situation for example James Brown going over to Blackburn and they put him in with the under 23s where he sort of has to prove himself before he gets a crack at the first team I think Dawson Devoy will go over there and and he will be given his chance pretty swiftly um, and, and we'll see how he goes and hopefully he continues his development you know he's an Ireland under 20, 21 international he's been brilliant in this league uh, anyone watching over the last year particularly his, his development has been has been really impressive so uh, a shame for Bowles, you know, a blow for Bowles again, but um, let's, let's hope that it goes well for Dawson because um, he's got major potential. Yeah. Uh, Jim, you you obviously are a Sligo man and very fond of your your hometown club. I do know in, in Dublin, Daily Mount is a place you do like to visit on occasion. Yeah. Um, it's, um, it, it is kind of frustrating for Bohemian fans because, you know, they're told the club's on an even financial keel. They're told, you know, you know, business-wise, it's been run the right way, but then, you know, you see the likes of, if Dawson Devoy leaves, if it's obviously not a done deal yet, following the likes of Danny Mandrew, the cup, like, promising young players not staying is um, something Bohemians fans, as far as you can see, are getting far too used to. Yeah, and there's the possibility that Georgie Kelly could be on his way out yet, uh, and we don't quite know where Georgie could end up, whether he'll be back in Derry, or there's talk about him going to Europe, but this is very much deja vu when it comes to Bohemians, and like, I mean, for a club who last summer at the Aviva Stadium 
with all the talent that Anthony has just mentioned there, played some really lovely football in the Conference League. And, you know, and then the failure they did not qualify for Europe only compounds the problems that they, that they have. So, look, as Anthony said, it'll be interesting to see, he has mentioned that chap Mullen, that who bows have coming up behind them. But, look, it seems, you know, the likes of Dundalk and the likes of Derry and the likes of Pats have, you know, they seem to be signing well ahead of the new season. Obviously, Shamrock Rovers will be strong. So, it's a case. I mean, I do like Bose. I mean, I like going there. I still think it's the best atmosphere of a football ground in Ireland. Uh, I know Tala's only down the road from me here. It's a great venue as well. I do like the showgrounds in Sligo and going up to Derry and Dundalk, but there's something about that old rickety uh, Dublin 7 uh, ground that there's something about it that still holds some sort of magic. Uh, I, think they're, I think they're a brilliantly run club. Uh, I know people who work at the club, um, you know what I mean? And it's, it's, um, it's just a pity that they're losing players. But look, I mean, obviously for Dawson, I mean, he, he, he was one of the standout uh, players in the league last season and uh, I think it's the right time for him to go and it's probably the right club for him to be joining at this time. Yeah. Um, there is, there, there, this is, there, there's a few potential moves, Connor. There's nothing kind of confirmed yet, but one, one of yeah. the more interesting ones seems to be um, Jamie McGrath, who's being not quite touted by St. Mirren, but they're not standing in his way either. Like yeah. small club, by, even by Scottish standards, they need. They might need some cash, and it seems Aberdeen might be willing to stump it up. Those of us, well, the, Aber- if- the Aberdeen move seems to have collapsed by all by all talk. The last um, I had encountered it, the manager there um, seemed to have a pop at Jamie McGrath over the over the failure of the move, saying he, he's he's on the record here saying um, there is pressure to be an Aberdeen player. No, I wouldn't have. I, was, yeah, I wasn't yeah. aware. I wasn't aware that the level of pressure to be an Aber- Aberdeen player was that sort of cosmic but uh, he said there is pressure to be an Aberdeen player that is not for everybody so I don't I don't know if Jamie well, I think that would run contrary to most Irish fans because you know we're a bit myopic we might we might think Jamie McGrath should be aiming a little bit higher than Aberdeen and certainly what his here. his club manager says he probably he, you know there's there's little well, standing see, Connor, in his way uh, Mikey I still think um, Aberdeen are still living off that 1983 cup winners cup glory so I, I'm Fergie, Fergie there at that time. So, I mean, uh, maybe, maybe that's I don't, the standard. Maybe, I'm maybe not sure that's Jamie McGrath was exactly reared on that success, though. So, <laughs> no, I, I don't, don't think growing up, <laughs> I'm yeah. not sure if he grew up in Mead, he, he did this notion of signing for Aberdeen, a once great team in the 80s, would well, fill they, in they with talk, trepidation. They, they, and he'll, have to, he'll stick with the small, ta- small time at St. Mirren. I, I yeah. can't see that. What is a bizarre, uh, bizarre saga going on there? Yeah. They, they thought they had him. They had offered him a pre-contract deal because his, his, his current deal with St. Mirren expires in the summer. So Aberdeen believed that they had Jamie McGrath and they then withdrew that offer. So I don't know exactly what happened there. Obviously, as, as Connor mentioned there, the manager, Stephen Glass, had a bit of a, a swipe at him in his press conference during the week. He was asked about him and that's how he responded. He said, you know, the pressure of playing for Aberdeen isn't for everyone. Um, but the reality is that Jamie McGrath has options here. Everyone knows his, his deal is up in the summer. He's turned heads in the championship and in Scotland. So he is, he's, he won't move now, but he is going to be on the move. Um, but it, it could, maybe he wants to get out of Scotland and, and maybe there's something uh, a little more attractive to him in the championship. Yeah. yeah um, um, Roger? I think, yeah, no, I think there's a couple of clubs that have been mentioned, Wigan and 
I think Birmingham City have been mentioned as possible places that he could end up. So that wouldn't be that wouldn't be those two clubs wouldn't be bad. Obviously Birmingham Birmingham in the championship, but that wouldn't be a bad move for him or those places. Yeah, well, they're they're very big clubs, you know, as is the way yeah. in English football. The big clubs aren't always in the top division, but they're certainly big, well-supported yeah. teams, and you'd be playing in front of some serious crowds, particularly St. Andrews. Um, another player who could be moving, Anthony, is the Derby County captain, Jason Knight. Um, as you were explaining, um, they certainly don't want to lose their captain and arguably their best player. You know, he's made captain at a very young age, which speaks uh, volumes, but... Uh, Derby aren't in a normal situation. Uh, they they just they just need an influx of cash in a in a hurry. Yeah, that they, they've been in administration since September, and basically they need to show the English Football League by the first of February that they have the money to finish this season. So they need to come up with about I think the sum being touted is about five million pounds to prove that they can finish the rest of this campaign. And obviously, the quickest and easiest way to get that kind of cash injection is to sell on one of your assets. And Jason Knight is, is one of their best assets. Um, and he's getting a lot of attention, um, Premier League attention, Newcastle, Burnley, and particularly Leeds United, which would be a really interesting move, I think, for Jason Knight. Um, it, that would feel like a good match, you know, the type of player that he is and, and the way that Bielsa likes his teams to play, high energy. Um, you could really imagine him slotting into that team um, I think that would be a great move. I'd, I'd love to see him go to Leeds, to be honest with you. Um, but it, the, the feeling there, I think, what have we got left? 11 days left in the transfer window. Mm. Um, it's now increasingly likely that Jason Knight won't be a derby player come the end of this month. He, it looks like he is on the move. That, it was always going to happen, Mikey. You know, it was inevitable that he was going to kick on. Um, he's too good. He's too good. And they've done actually really well this season. They're, they're making a bit of a, a fight of staying up because they got hit with a massive points deduction, which looked like it had just consigned them to relegation, but they're making a real scrap of it. Um, in fairness to Wayne Rooney and the players there, they're really making a good go at that. But unfortunately for them, this could be a fatal blow. If they lose Jason Knight and they could lose Rooney, they could lose Rooney to Everton by the end of this window. Um, and you'd, you'd have to think if, if that was to happen. Um, it doesn't, Connor, it doesn't get any easier for Jason Knight. He can either stay with a almost hopeless relegation battle of the championship. He could go run 10,000 miles a day for Marcelo Bielsa, or he could scrap for relegation in the Premier League with Burnley, who have about eight games in spare in hand to play on everybody else. So whatever he's going to do this season, he's going to be busy. If it is Leeds, he's clearly taking a tour around the 70s glamour clubs, clearly. You know? but, uh, <laughs> say, I mean, it would be a great move to Leeds. I mean, obviously, and it would be a particular interest given that there are so many Leeds fans in this country, a legacy of the 70s, I suppose, and John Giles. And obviously, it would, it would also spark memories of that era around David O'Leary's time 20 years ago when uh, half, the te- half the Leeds team seemed to be uh, Irish players at one point. But yeah, he's, uh, he's um, obviously a super prospect. I mean, I think we possibly only realised how much of a loss he was in early September when he came on against Luxembourg and completely changed the course of the game. Mm-hmm. Ireland were kind of floundering a bit up front until he came on and then he started to slot in really intelligent midfielder and was centrally involved in all three goals um, mm. that Ireland he's, scored in the, la- in the last he's hard to um he's hard to categorize Jim isn't he like you you, you yeah. can't really pigeonhole him as a player he seems to he seems to do a lot of things very well which is exactly what Marcelo Bielsa likes you would imagine 
Yeah, like, I mean, I don't, obviously Leeds, just watching them last Sunday against West Ham, I think for the first time in quite a while, Leeds did a lot of things right. So I think he would be a, he would be a great addition to that lineup. Uh, as you say, he'll probably be running 20,000 miles or so uh, at, the, at the same time. But I think for Derby, like, I mean, I mean, I have a soft spot to just go back to Derby. I mean, I hope Wayne Rooney does it. I mean, I think Wayne Rooney is a far better manager than people give him credit for. And, you know, and I think he should be should be getting plaudits for, you know, making improving Jason Knight as a player over the over the last couple of years or so. So, um, yeah, I think it's only inevitable that he will leave uh, as to where he'll go. We don't know. But uh you know, um, I certainly, I certainly did like, or certainly liked watching night that night in Luxembourg. Uh, you know, for at a time when we were what scoreless, uh, he, he certainly shifted the needle in a big way during that game. So uh, his, yeah, definitely. I, I think there's what there's ten days left, but uh, I think we will see him leaving the East Midlands. Yeah. Well, by all accounts, Rooney is a good manager, but he, he possibly yeah. has a weakness when it comes to injuring his own players in training. <laughs> <laughs> I, I always thought, I mean, that, that very much struck me. I mean, people talked about Stephen Kenny suffering from bad luck, which he clearly did for a year. And I, <laughs> I would regard the, uh, the Jason Knight, Wayne Rooney uh, collision in training as very much the comic, oh, right, yeah, it, was, yeah. it was the comic crescendo of uh, Stephen Kenny's run of bad luck. If, that would describe yeah. if, Rooney was to, uh, if Rooney was to get the Everton job, which is beyond the realms of possibility, the idea of him and Big Dunk on the training ground every day if that wouldn't, uh, if that wouldn't motivate some of Everton's perhaps more lackluster players, I don't know what would. Big yeah. Dunk is going full time into the viral uh, message video. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> um, moving away from transfers, Anthony, it was nice last night. Well, for those of us, well, not for those of us unfortunate enough to support Leicester City, but for people who like to see Irish footballers do well, it was nice to see Matt Doherty played a rather. Um, important role in Tottenham's grand larceny at the King Power Stadium. No, it wasn't. They did deserve to get a result, but two goals coming in about the 95th and 98th minute were hard to stomach, and Doherty played a, played a crucial role in one of those. And, you know, he seems to be, he seems to be finding uh, Antonio Conte's favour as a right wing back, which is obviously a very, very important role in how Conte sets up his teams. So if he has his favour, he must be doing something right. Well, that was a timely contribution last night because um, there had been ground speculation that Doherty is, is going to be on, on the way out of Spurs. And in this window, Conte wants to put his mark on this team and he wants to bring in a body or two um, before the window shuts at the end of the month. So there was talk that Matt Doherty could go back to Wolves as a sort of um, a part of a deal to bring Adama Traore to Spurs. Um it could still happen, but as you say, like it was nice for him to just offer a, a reminder that he's a he's a good player. He's a he's a player that's comfortable um, at this at Premier League level that can make an impact on on high end Premier League games. Um, but you know, it, it remains to be seen how convinced um, Conte is about him. You know, generally things haven't gone very well for him for Matt Doherty there. Um, there'll be a lot of Spurs fans who haven't been usually convinced by him. Um, and we could see him, we could see him uh, move out of the club, you know, before, before the end of the window. Just just because Conte has gone on record and, and spoken a lot about his desire to bring players in and to freshen things up, and the fact that generally he hasn't he hasn't seemed massively convinced by Doherty himself. But look, you know, 
things like last night don't do him any harm, you know. So we, we we'll see. It, it's as we know, the game is is fickle and changes very quickly. So um, you never know. You could you could yet convince him, but um, I would say that it's more likely that Matt Doherty won't be at Spurs for too much longer. It's 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 just been it it seems like one of those calamitous transfers you get every now and again. You know, Robbie Keane gets put into that bracket with his Liverpool uh Steve. No, it probably wasn't as bad as it's kind of made out to be sometimes, but you would have thought brought in by Mourinho, wasn't he? And then his former manager at Wolves, who loved him and made him the player he is, you could argue, takes over at Spurs, so you're thinking lovely. Doherty's luck is about to change. And um Yeah, I was just I was just noticing there. I was just noticing there, Mikey, some of the tweets from some of the Spurs fans getting really excited about Doherty and equating him to Cafu last night. And uh, some of them rather sarcastically saying, who are you and what have you done with Matt Doherty? So um, there's, a, there's a definite tongue in the in the cheek there. All right. But I mean, I, I thought I last it, night. Yeah. I tongue it's tradi- in the cheek. Yeah. It's the tradition of English football Twitter that they, they demand an England call up now, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> they're a fickle bunch they're a fickle bunch right lads before we get on to this Courtney Brosnan interview um we should mention some it's not quite breaking news um but it's it's recent um that Shamit Rovers it looks like they're gonna have to open their defense of the HSC League Premier Division uh behind closed doors against UCD at home because of the incident uh, against Waterford last uh, November, where fire, a couple of fireworks were detonated above the pitch. Um, Connor, I guess it, it, it's no great surprise. The um, I think there's been a, there were a couple of incidents last year with that uh, with fireworks and pyro, etc. And I I don't think the FAI could really have stood by on this one, even though Shamrock Rovers, you know, seem to move pretty swiftly to condemn the act, etc. And it's hired on a club. To be punished for the acts, uh, the acts of maybe a couple of people, but at the same time, it wasn't a great look. Um, full blown fireworks detonating over the RSC. Well, I would say, I mean, one game seems seems reasonable, but also at the sort of closer to the lower end of the scale of punishment than the higher end of the scale of punishment. It was a shocking event. You see players ducking away. Um, you know, there's, a, there's there is often a running battle around pyro. I mean, the cup final. There was a fantastic display of pyro before the fireworks before the game from either either side of the ground and it was it created a terrific atmosphere so you wouldn't like to stamp on it entirely but uh, clearly events like what happened in the rsc um you know totally unacceptable and there have been kind of um issues before i know there was an issue with oriel park where the Dundalk had to issue a statement complaining about their fans' use of fireworks. Um, I know there was a suggestion that this made it awkward for people working on the broadcast of the game, or, or, or that was kind of in the air at the time. So while fireworks can create a wonderful atmosphere and they, they are part of the aura of the League of Ireland now, I mean, if you go to, I always think there's, there's nothing more League of Ireland in the 21st century than the sort of smell of burnt flare, you know, there, there really isn't. but it's uh it's it's nonetheless uh, a cautionary tale and i suppose they'll have to be sort of people are gonna have to be more mindful and more careful with this sort of stuff going forward and punishments have to be meted yeah. out yeah it's a big terror. it's a big blow for shamrock rovers obviously anthony because we are hoping that we're going to get the green light on crowds to return in larger numbers if not 100 percent 
So, you know, Rovers would have been looking at, they would have been hoping for a crowd of 6,000, but they maybe might have been settling for four or 5,000. We don't know what the, the cabinet are going to decide tomorrow. So, you know, this is quite a financial hit to start the season, just when this is the season when everybody was hoping they could look at the return to normal fully for the entire length of the season. So it, it is a blow early on for Shamrock Rovers, who can probably absorb it better than most clubs. Yeah, no, no, it is a blow. Like the, the excitement around the first weekend of League of Ireland games, you know, in recent years, remember 2019, I went to Richmond Park, uh, Pats and um, Cork City that night and the queues were down the street, you know, like the, the first weekend back, because there is a long break, you tend to get that. Um, also coming off the back of a year where so many games were played without fans and, and for all clubs, that was extremely difficult. And, you know, with Shamrock Rovers, the champions, Jack Bourne is back. I, I think they, you know, if they were allowed um, full capacity, they would have got a really, really very healthy crowd uh, for that UCD game. Um, you know, the thing with this, Mikey, is when it happened, the, there was two fans who were arrested by the Guardi and handed indefinite bans by the club uh, from Tallis Stadium. Rovers identified the fans and gave them indefinite bans uh, from attending Tallis Stadium. Now, that's that's two people. If you've seen the scenes, as Connor alluded to correctly, they were absolutely shocking, like really dangerous and shocking but this is two people responsible for it it looks like chaos when you see the tv there's mm. fireworks going everywhere but it was it was two people responsible for it so i think that the um the being ordered to play behind closed doors i i think it's a little harsh i have to say and that's not to downplay the incident at all um i think rovers will appeal this um and i thought i the fact that they identified the fans they, they gave them indefinite bans i thought a fine might be more um a little fairer um but uh as i said that that's not to downplay the incident in any way shape or form but just off the back of the year that we've had as well i i do think it's it's a little it's a little tough now that being said this does fall within the fai's own rules that a, a club is responsible for their own fans when they travel to another ground um and and it is in it, it is in the rule book that they mm -hmm. um that they can hand down this sort of punishment but um, I'd expect an appeal. I don't know. Maybe maybe the FAA will stand firm on it because obviously the scenes and, and those pictures went viral and it's not a good look and they probably want to make some sort of um, statement around this kind of behaviour. Uh, but I would have sympathy with Rovers, I have to say. Not not a phrase you hear uttered all that often. No. Um, no. <laughs> Jim, no. what, what, what do you think? Do you think it's a little harsh or do you think this is kind of one of those incidents where Anthony says the the optics, that horrible phrase of our time, weren't good and, you know, they had to, they have to draw a line somewhere. So, you know, nautical flares, okay. Um, you know, Guy Fawkes explosions, not so much. Well, it's funny that you mentioned Guy Fawkes because it actually happened on Guy Fawkes night, believe it or not. It happened on the 5th of November. And I just think as well for the game itself, I, I think Waterford might have been a goal up. And they at the time were, you know, looking to avoid the relegation playoff. So I don't know what, you know, it could have had some impact on the flow of the game, you know, some impact possibly on Waterford. Um, I'm not sure where I sit on it, Mikey. Um, I probably would tend to lean more towards maybe the fact that they should play behind closed doors, even if it's two people or five people or 20 people bringing flares in. Um, what happened wasn't right. And, you know, it, it was quite dangerous. You know, people ducking down, people... You obviously didn't know what was wrong with people at the time. You know, people can get very badly injured because of those flares. So 
I possibly would, would just go with maybe, I think the sanction, I think they will appeal, but possibly the sanction of playing behind closed doors on the 18th of February uh, is the correct thing. Okay. Well, we'll and, and, I, and I say that as a slight rover stand with no bias whatsoever towards my <laughs> beloved hoots. Uh, you know, so, uh, you know, Rovers course. v Rovers are great games and great occasions. I don't <laughs> understand Anthony's pro Rovers bias. I mean, this is, this is, yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 He's just showing his impartiality yeah. as a journalist. Yeah. So very, very yeah. much on the fence and all of this. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. All right. And now, after that fantastic display of impartiality, we'll move on to Raphael's interview with Courtney Brosnan, where he caught up with the Ireland goalkeeper, discuss all things Vera Pau, um, qualification campaign and West Ham, uh, sorry, Everton's uh, Super League season. Hi, Courtney Brosnan. Thanks for uh, taking the time to chat to me. Uh, coincidentally, before we get to uh, your career with Ireland and the number one jersey, your former club West Ham are hosting your current club, Everton. Um, so to start off, I was wondering how the move to Everton came about and was there a period of uncertainty after you left West Ham and like a period of time between, I suppose, the contract coming to an end at West Ham and then the deal happening with Everton? Yeah, I think game it's a little bit different. Like the contracts are typically shorter than the men's game. So as you said, there's always a little bit of uncertainty. But I think when I knew I was leaving West Ham, I spoke a lot with my agent and about my hopes to stay in England that I really liked the league here and wanted to continue to pursue that. So I think when the opportunity kind of arose through Willie and getting to Everton, I thought it was um, a great chance, a great chance, a really ambitious club with their uh, like high hopes for the season and things like that. So I felt like it was a good fit for me and was really looking forward to the opportunity to stay in England. Yeah. And part, part of the challenge, of course, is to take on Sandy McIver for the number one jersey. How has that been? And is there a bit of a challenge for you as well? Because, of course, you're the Republic of Ireland number one at the moment. So game time is going to be important to maintain match sharpness. Uh, are there kind of scenarios in training that help with that in between kind of international breaks? Yeah, I think obviously working with Sandy and our goalkeeper coach Ian has been like amazing. I feel like the environment here is so good that and training and the goalkeeper sessions, I feel like I'm really improving and I feel really sharp, just kind of honing into my skills and being ready for my chance to play, as you said. So I think that's really helped me, obviously, with when the chance has arose uh, for me to start playing for Ireland. And I think it's really prepared me to kind of be like in the best shape that I can. And obviously, as a goalkeeper, you might not always have the chance to play and just being ready when you have that opportunity and just being able to take that and kind of show yourself out there to keep uh, pushing forward and doing your best. Yeah, and we're, well, you know, time flies, I suppose, especially in this period where we have uh, this COVID-19 pandemic where the years seem to blend together. Like, so it's almost two years yeah. since you made your major debut uh, for Ireland against Montenegro in the Euro qualifiers. If you just take us back to that night, uh, was there a bit of tension and kind of nerves beforehand or the fact that you would played for the underage teams, had that kind of helped ease you in? Yeah, I think obviously there's always a bit of nerves kind of making your senior debut, but I think I had been in and around the squad for a while before I got my first cap, which I think was kind of great just to get that experience and training, like being around the team. And I think everyone was super supportive. So when it was obviously to get um, my first cap, I felt really supported by the team and kind of, as I said, ready to take that opportunity. So obviously it was a great day, get the win and clean sheet against Montenegro. So it was really a great experience for me. 
And Vera Pau as manager, because of course this is uh, your your kind of rise within the team has kind of coincided with her time as uh, as the manager. Um, what is she like um, tactically, especially in relation to your role as goalkeeper, and then also as a kind of people manager in terms of being that communicative figure in charge and dealing with all the different personalities within the squad? Yeah, I think obviously when you're talking about qualifiers, it's extremely difficult because you're playing such different type of teams within a space. So you say you're maybe playing with Sweden and then the next game is against Georgia. So obviously it's super important to have tactical side of it and kind of be ready. So I feel like a lot of our trainings with Vera are focusing on that 11-11 and looking at our shape against different oppositions, which I think has helped us to better prepare maybe for when we're playing, obviously, different teams. And then I think when it comes to the group, we have such a great group of girls in the Irish squad. And I think everyone looks forward to coming together and kind of like representing our country. So I think she obviously has honed in on that and is kind of trying to get us to show that passion and that pride and have that come across when we're playing, obviously, the qualifiers in any game that we get to put on the jersey. Yeah, and of course, there will be ups and downs. Of course, the uh, the the last European Championship qualifying campaign, there were a lot of ups. It probably just didn't end the way we wanted it to. And I was interested in one thing you spoke about, uh, I think, in relation to the Ukraine game, particularly the goal that was conceded that, especially as a goalkeeper, you have to have a short memory. Um, is that something you have to consciously do during a game or over time with experience? Does that come with the territory? Yeah, I think obviously it's something you work on, but I think as you said, with experience and time, that sort of just comes with it. Like you're never, never going to have the perfect game and it's never going to always go your way. So I think it's sort of just as a goalkeeper, you train all the time, you make mistakes in training and you kind of get used to that and kind of build that shell and have that confidence in yourself, even if maybe you make a mistake or something doesn't go well. So I think that it's super important to have that short memory and just be able to bounce back and just believe in yourself and know like what you're capable of when things are going well and maybe when things aren't going so well as well. Yeah and how did that apply collectively because you had um, it was a deliberate choice by the management to pick quite tough friendlies in the build-up to these World Cup qualifiers so uh, matches against Belgium, Denmark and two against Iceland and they were they all ended in very narrow defeats but Mm -hmm. how did you kind of balance that kind of trying to keep the you know confidence levels relatively high but at the same time, looking at the bigger picture and knowing you're kind of working on small things that are supposed to um, be a benefit when it comes to the actual competitive games. Yeah, I think obviously that that can get really difficult because if you have a few losses on the bounce like we did, it can get hard. But I think it's just uh, Katie speaks about it so much and even Vera, it's just like having that belief, like we know that we have a good squad and we have talented players and we know what we're capable of and where we want to be. So it's sort of just keeping that belief and keeping that target in mind, regardless of maybe results and friendlies and things like that. So honestly, I think it was really important for us because then you maybe saw us put in a good performance against the likes of Sweden and obviously Finland as well. So I think obviously it was helpful um, leading into these qualifiers and hopefully we can continue with that. Yeah, and Vera's job isn't to make the media's uh, role or <laughs> our kind of jobs easier. Like she kept us guessing in terms of who was going to be Ireland number one. Within the squad, though, did you have a good idea in the lead up to the Australia game that it was kind of going in your direction in terms of uh, being the number one in goal for Ireland? Um, I, don't, I don't know if I would say I had an idea. I think you obviously kind of 
when you show up into international break, you show up every day and you want to show yourself and train the best you can and be kind of the best version of yourself. And I think obviously in the goalkeeper position, it's been bouncing back and forth for a while. So I think it's sort of was all of us were just trying to put our best foot forward and kind of step up into that role. And obviously the opportunity arose for myself, which I'm very happy about. And I think it's just continuing for us all to push each other forward and just continue to make steps in the right direction. And that Australia game, because I remember watching it live and it just felt like such a breakthrough, especially after the run of defeats and albeit they were all very narrow, as we mentioned already, but it just seemed to be perfectly poised and just in time for the start of these World Cup qualifiers. Like, Can you just take us back to that night and did it, did it kind of feel like a breakthrough for the squad, especially going yeah. up against the likes of Sam Kerr and the players of that quality? Yeah, I think, as you said, obviously, you have that belief in yourself. But as you said, maybe if you keep coming off defeats, it kind of keeps knocking you down where you're like, oh, maybe you don't believe as much. So I think it was really great timing to kind of get that important win against such a highly ranked opponent. And I think that was great evidence for kind of us to take that and say, hey, look what we did here. Like, let's use this confidence moving forward against the next highly ranked opponents that was really, really excited that night and sort of just felt some relief that all this hard work that we've been putting in kind of paid off to finally get that result that kind of went our way. Whereas before it was maybe, oh, uh, we're playing well, but we're still losing one nil or something like that. So to finally flip that around and say, oh, we played well and got the result was really important for us. And in the inverse sense, so the Sweden game, of course, it did end in defeat, but we're talking about Sweden, one of the top five teams in the world. And the goal that went in, it was very unfortunate. It could have gone the other side of the post. Do you still take yeah. confidence from a performance like that? Yeah, I think obviously having that type of game right before Finland that we knew was going to be such an important game was massive. And obviously, like you said, we didn't get the win, but we showed how solid we were at the back. We really maybe limited their chances and kind of had our opportunities, obviously in those last 10, 15 minutes as well, we felt like we maybe could have gotten a draw out of the game even. So I think the timing of that and then leading into taking that confidence into Finland where we wanted to kind of start on the front foot and show what we're capable of, it was really great. And just that night in Finland, if you just want to take us back to just how that felt the whole way through, because the tension even in my living room here so exactly where I was sitting because I'm working from home most of the time it you know those last yeah. few minutes felt like double the length of time it was it felt like 20 minutes the last five what was it like for you especially you're the last line of defense so I'm, I imagine the tension for you must have been quite high or were you almost yeah. quite calm going through it I think obviously the tension was high like they were really throwing everything at it and obviously we were pretty backed up pretty close to the goal line and sort of just fending off attack after attack but I think like our confidence that we put in a good performance and I I felt like I really had the belief and felt like the back line had the belief that they weren't going to get another goal in those last 10 minutes no matter how many times they were continuing to throw that long ball forward so I think um it was a great night and obviously a really, really important win for us in the qualifiers. So hoping to build off of that uh, moving forward. And in a weird way, is it as a goalkeeper, is it easier almost to play in a game like that where you sort of know what's coming rather than say the Georgia game where it, most of the action is happening at the other end and there's maybe it's more challenging in terms of concentration levels? Yeah, I think obviously I maybe have spoken about this before, but obviously 
as a goalkeeper, you can only do what you're called upon to do, whether that's making 25 saves or whether that's making one or zero saves. So I think that comes with playing the position for so long that you know what your role is and kind of keeping that focus, whether the game's against a Sweden where you're constantly on your toes ready or maybe against a Georgia where you might not have much to do. But I think that's what comes with the experience of kind of just being ready, being focused and um, kind of fulfilling your role, whether whatever that might be and just being ready for that one chance that you might get called upon. And in the setup as well, there has been a bit of a change with Eileen Geeson leaving for Glasgow City and Tom Elms uh, coming in. Uh, I was on a press conference call with him, I think, just before Christmas, and he was kind of setting out what the aims are for this coming few months with the second half of the qualifiers. Um, How have you you found the new dynamic with um, Tom coming in? Yeah, I mean, obviously, everyone, we all loved Eileen. I think everyone was super excited for her to have that opportunity. And I think Tom has done a great job since he stepped in. You can obviously, like, feel his passion and dedication for the game in the way that he coaches us and obviously in a lot of his analysis and video he's really like always talking to us saying if anybody wants to do extra if anybody needs help like I'm always here and then I think in the training he really brings like a great um positive energy and kind of brings that passion so he's been a really really great fit I would say so far and I think he'll continue to help us in our goals moving forward. Yeah, and you're in a good position in the group. Um, of course, Sweden are leading the way, but the, the win in Finland, of course, puts you in a great position for that second playoff spot. And with four games to go, and it's kind of, I suppose, the reflection of the games you've already played before. How are you feeling as a group going into that, uh, especially with the experience of what happened in the Euro qualifiers in terms of trying to finish this job? Yeah, I think obviously we're trying to take that belief and that confidence from the first half of the qualifiers and then obviously bring that into the second half we know what we're capable of and then we probably have maybe a little bit more information about the teams because we've obviously played them all once so I think it's just really important for us to stay focused on what we want to do and obviously put our best foot forward the best performances we can to hopefully get where we want to be at the end of these qualifiers. And I suppose the last one before I let you go, of course, uh, your family, I think, are they all still based in Milburn? Um, is it in, in New Jersey or just yeah. in and around that uh, area? Yeah. Um, have they been able to kind of watch your games and kind of watch you from afar, especially with the way restrictions are now? I guess travel is difficult for people. Yeah. So they obviously watch all my games um, for, on the TV and everything like that. Um, and my dad was actually able to come for the first time to see me play for the senior team against Slovakia and Georgia, which was obviously amazing because he's been to underage games and obviously seen me uh, on TV and stuff, but had never seen like a live match. So that obviously meant the world for me and for him for, to be able to be there. So hopefully get some more family across uh, for this second half of the year with maybe some of the restrictions a bit. Yeah, and yes, what, yeah, would I be right in saying in terms of uh, your kind of connection to Ireland and how you kind of grew up kind of with the interest in the country? It's from your grandparents, isn't it? That, and I think there yeah. was some sort of chocolate bar or something that you connected with, <laughs> yeah. uh, with the country. Yeah, so uh, it's my dad. Both my dad's parents are from Ireland. They have since passed away. So obviously it's a bit sad. They haven't they never got a chance to see me play for the senior team just for underage. But obviously... I know like they're so happy for me and obviously supportive. And I think it means a lot to my dad to kind of for us to keep that side of uh, our heritage alive, which is really cool.
Well, that's great, Courtney. And uh, best of luck for the second half of the qualifiers, hopefully. So best of luck and uh, take care. All right, great. Thank you very much. Okay, that was Raftiello's interview with Courtney Brosnan. And you can, there's a written version of that up on the RT website at the moment. Uh, don't forget to check out the RT Rugby podcast. Um, it is also out today. Donald Ennehan speaking passionately about Munster, which is a given, but I'm told it's particularly passionate today. So catch up with that if you are a rugby fan. And uh, the GA podcast will probably come back next week once I start working on what it's going to be. Um, obviously, RT website, RT News app for all your breaking sports news, features, previews, reports, etc. Just say thank you to Connor, to Anthony and to Jim. Thank you very much, lads. And Thanks, Mike. We, Thanks, Mike. we will chat to you again next week. Thank you very much. Good luck.